Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. The final show before the show podcast of the 2016 minor league baseball regular season. Hi, everybody. Welcome into this week's edition from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. 74th episode. Sam Dykstra in New York City. 74, Sam. 74. That's that's. It sounds like we're getting bigger week by week. It does. Is that just me? I, th- I think that might just be. It does. It's like uh, it's like we add another one onto the onto the tally week by week. It's weird how that works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so hey, hey, welcome in everybody. Uh, yeah, it is the last. We'll have playoffs this time. Playoffs. We'll have playoffs uh, to talk about this time next week. All across the world of minor league baseball. We actually have some today. For those of you who are very excited about the Arizona League playoffs, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. August 30th in the AZL playoffs uh, already getting started. They get started tonight. So it is the minor league postseason across uh, all levels coming up here very soon. And we are just as excited for that as we are for uh, being here to talk to you, which is the most exciting thing of our week, everybody. Um, And with that in mind, since we're so nice to you, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating of five stars or more if they let you um, and uh, give us a review and a subscription and tell Sam what a nice chum you think he is. Cause he is, he's a good dude. Yeah. If you want to find yeah. a way to game the system and give us like seven stars. Yeah. We'd be down and, like that. to have, we'd be the only podcast with a rating of five and a half out of five. That'd we'd be, be awesome. We would be for, well, I wouldn't say forever in your debt. Cause that just sounds right. Horrendous. Um, and sounds like a, a favor that could be called back that we can't actually repay, but we'd be very thankful. Yeah, you, for you a while, very, yeah, we'd be, we'd be in your for, debt. A, a yeah, I'm not going to say forever, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that'd be a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show. I was going to check and see what our rating was right now, but I went to it in the iTunes store, and then it just opens it in podcast. I'm already subscribed, and I can't see. Whatever, just go give us five stars. We'll be very appreciative of that. Um, so... With that, let's get started. Three strikes. This week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Coming up here in just a little while, we are going to talk with the top overall draft selection in 2016. That is one Mackenzie Matthew Moniak, who you know better as Mickey Moniak, first overall pick of the Philadelphia Phillies in the 2016 Major League First Year Player Draft. The 18-year-old out of Encinitas, California, and La Costa Canyon High School in Carlsbad will join the show. He's played 45 games in the rookie-level Gulf Coast League. 285, 342, 413 is his slash line. Uh, Mickey Moniak has been pretty good in his debut season, and uh, that's going to be a fun conversation for us to have. And a few years down the road for Mickey Moniak, this conversation will uh, will revolve around him when he is getting that call. And that's where we start things in strike one for episode number 74. September 1st, the day that you get this podcast ordinarily is a monumental day throughout the world of major and minor league baseball, or at least it has been traditionally for quite some time. Rosters expand from their 25 man status for the vast majority of the major league season to the full 40 man roster status uh, for major league clubs heading into the stretch and into October. But as we've seen over the last few years, this has stopped being something that is really a, a set your clocks and get your popcorn ready to see who's going to be making that climb. Um, Sam, is this a big deal anymore? Are September roster expansion is really a big deal because what's become the trend in baseball is when guys are ready, they're going to get the call to the big leagues no matter what, whether that's in April or in June or in August. 
But the the second component of that is if guys are not ready, teams are so much more cognizant and aware of starting service clocks that we don't see that so often anymore that a guy gets called up September 1st, 30 days added to his service clock. Maybe that brings about uh, a loss of the team contr- team's control over his contract status earlier than it would have been otherwise. Does this Is this a big thing anymore, September roster expansion? I mean, I think it still is just as a discussion piece. Um, you know, it, it it's interesting in that it's, it's a date on the calendar that we all know about. Um, you know, it, there are still possibilities there, right? And as long as there's possibilities, there's going to be talking points for people like us, writing points for people like us. Um, and, you know, we have to acknowledge it. We can't just say, well, you know, it, it's a thing of the past now. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, it, it is significantly different than it used to be. Uh, you know, I did a story last week for the tool shed, which was um, just a preview of what the September call-ups was going to be. And I, and I sat down to see, you know, which of the top 100 prospects are already in the uh, major leagues right now. And it was 16. So that's, you know, roughly one in every six prospects. You know, we call them prospects because they haven't lost their rookie eligibility yet. One in six pro, uh, prospect or the top 100 prospects, excuse me, uh, is already in the majors. And, you know, so this is a sign, like you said, of, a lot of organizations are just saying, you know, if you're ready, you're ready. We're not going to wait. You know, we'll clear out that roster space for you now. We're going to have to do it eventually anyways for guys we're talking about who aren't already on the 40-man. Um, you know, Dansby Swanson, the Braves had to do that. Uh, you go back to, you know, the Red Sox had to do that. Andrew Benintendi, uh, the Cardinals did it twice with Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver. You know, the, when you have a, a hole to fill – more and more this season we're seeing organizations turn to guys already in the system now you know we can get into a conversation you know maybe this offseason maybe a little further down the line of is this a product of last year i mean last year there weren't so many guys who were considered top 100 prospects uh who are already in the majors you know by late august they were brought up in september or the ones who had been brought up were brought up much earlier and had graduated by September. You know, your Francisco Lindors, your Carlos Correa's, those guys weren't considered prospects anymore. So is this a shift in the industry? Is it just a one-year thing? We can have that discussion for a later day. But anybody who expects September 1st to kind of be a bull rush in terms of, you know, this is when we're going to see uh, guys like Manuel Margot, Hunter Renfro, Carson Fulmer, Robert Stevenson, um, you know, all brought up so quickly – uh, that that's just not the case anymore. I mean, there's a lot of other considerations in there, um, you know, particularly for guys like Margot and Renfro. I'll get into it in a little bit, but you know, they're going to be actually playing a little longer. Their postseason is gonna, or their season is going to go beyond the regular season. Uh, and if you're a, a team that is considering bringing up a prospect just to see what he has in the majors, you're more likely to want him to have play uh, or playing time which is what they would get in the playoffs. And also, you know, it's a little reward. You, it's always much more fun to to play in the playoffs than it would be as, as great as it is to be in the majors uh, to get there and sit. So, you know, playing for that trophy, playing for that ring, uh, teams will give them a little extra leeway. So, you know, if, if you're expecting your favorite prospect to immediately come up September 1st, that's not going to be the case. Just because rosters expand doesn't need, mean everybody on the 40-man has to be up. Um, but it's still... It's still significant in that it's a thing on the calendar, and it, it opens up the possibilities of guys getting their first taste of the majors. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I'd partic- particularly be interested to see, you know, what a team like the Red Sox does with Yohan Mankata. Uh, you know, not on the forty man now. It, it's an issue whether he's ready, but there is a hole at third base for the Red Sox. Do they decide to fill that? In that way, September can still be interesting. Um, but you know, there are so many other ways, uh, Jose de Leon, you know, feels like a guy who should be there, but it isn't on the 40 men yet. Um, should we be talking about him? Should we not be talking about him in in that way? Uh, you know, that, that's some stuff we'll get some answers from, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, they're not all going to be answered by Thursday. That's for sure. 
Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, I mean, it. yeah, on the one hand, it's kind of, oh, this used to be such a, a monumental day in the season. It used to be a real big piece of the calendar, and it's kind of not because of the way things have gone. But on the other hand, it means we're seeing so much more exciting talent spread out across the course of the season that that makes it a little bit more fun for those of us who nerd out on this type of stuff. So, um, you know, still, there will still be moves made, and there will still be guys getting that first real taste of Major League action as, uh, as September hits. And even not necessarily on September 1st, but as teams are – either done with the regular season or eliminated from the postseason. We'll see guys continue um, their climbs up the the ladder toward the major leagues as well. Um, Strike two, some of those guys could be in this next uh, mode of conversation. Some more postseason, end-of-season all-star lists have been released, including the AAA International League with some names that are already making uh, pretty big waves at the the major league level. The AA Southern League, the Class A South Atlantic League, uh, as well as the Eastern League at the AA level and the Carolina League, too, at the Class A Advanced level. A lot of these stories have been kind of rolling out over the last couple of weeks, but now we're getting a rash of them. Who stands out to you among these most recent releases, Sam? Yeah, the one that I really wanted to talk about, just because I don't think we've talked about him that much on the podcast. I, I know you and I have talked about him a little bit off air, and you know we talk about it in the office, but Tyler O'Neill's season just has really yeah. impressed the heck out of me. Uh, he was a guy last year at, at Class A Advanced Bakersfield. You know, Shout out to the Blaze in their, their last week here. Or one out. Or one out for the Blaze. Uh, but not on the blaze. We don't want to put them out. Uh, <laughs> That's like a Ben the- joke. Nice <laughs> <job>. <laughs> He's rubbing off on me. This is a problem. <laughs> um, yeah, last year in the California League, hit 32 home runs. Uh, so had plenty of power at a 558 slugging percentage, 874 OPS. But a lot of us who know what the California League means, you know, we're thinking, okay, that's great. You hit 30 plus homers there. What can you show me outside? At- the Cal league and he had just a 316 OBP and a 260 average. Um, so it wasn't showing much outside that power. What was going to happen when he got to leave, you know, the friendly offensive confines of, of the California league. He's answered our questions pretty dang emphatically. Uh, 24 homers this year leads the Southern league, 99 RBIs leads the Southern league, uh, leads the Southern league and total bases on base percentage. He's now up to 379 in his on base percentage. So he's fixed out, He's fixed some of his plate discipline problems for sure. Uh, slugging 521, and he's also leading the Southern League in OPS. He, if not uh, for average, which he is hitting 297, which is second in that circuit, he would be the Triple Crown winner for your traditional Triple Crown in terms of average homers and RBIs, as well as the slash line Triple Crown. So average on base percentage and slugging. It's just he's you know as for a guy who we thought was maybe a product of the level and where he was last year, he's shown to be so much more than that. Uh, and you know everybody's starting to take notice. He's now up to number sixty-five in MLB.com's listing of uh, prospects, overall prospects. He's now the number two prospect in the Mariner system behind uh, their first-round pick this year, Kyle Lewis, who just has tools all over the place. Uh, it, you know hasn't played much because of an injury. But O'Neill has turned into the real thing. Uh, And, you know, as we're recording this, he is just the all-star outfielder uh, on the Southern League end-of-season all-star list. Um, But they are announcing the MVP on Wednesday. And if he's not there, then it's, you know, I think that's um, a call to riot if if that won't be the case. But uh, I feel pretty good saying here that by the time you listen to this podcast, Tyler O'Neill will have been named Southern League MVP. Tyler O'Neill is fun to watch, um, and one of the reasons why is because he smashes massive dingers. And uh, a couple of guys who really stood out on one of these recent lists um, have been doing it at the major league level. Gary Sanchez of the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders and Aaron Judge of the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders were named the all-star catcher and one of the all-star outfielders in the AAA International League. Um, and that is, you know, just how close these guys are. You don't even really people don't even really think about them as prospects anymore. Now they're just look at these doers who are smashing huge homers at the major league level um so that's pretty cool on the international league side uh one guy who i wanted to recognize who we haven't talked about at all on this podcast yet but rocky's prospect brian mundell was named the uh south atlantic league most valuable player he broke the minor league doubles record 
this season with 57 doubles, and he can still add to that in the final days of the season, obviously. Uh, Brian Mandel is batting 320, 14 homers, 80 RBIs, 265 total bases in 129 games. Uh, he was a Rockies seventh-round pick in 2015 out of Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and that's pretty cool. We haven't really touched on that, but congratulations to Brian Mandel. Some other really, really good talent on that postseason all-star team. Uh, in the South Atlantic League this year. Hagerstown, that team was loaded this season, and uh, their manager, Patrick Anderson, was the postseason all-star skipper. He was joined on the roster by a couple of guys from his squad, uh, including third baseman Kelvin Gutierrez and utility infielder Ian Sagdahl has put together a really good season. So some really promising talent on that South Atlantic League postseason all-star team, and those guys are kind of nearing those weed-out levels of the minors. Full-season Class A ball, difficult jump, Full season A to high A, a tough jump. High A to double A, a very difficult jump. So those are uh, keep those names in mind because now you'll start seeing the you know the wheat separated from the chaff among those types of stars. Yeah, definitely. And just to go back to Mundell for a second, um, you know, one thing just to put it into context, you know, he does have fifty-seven doubles this year. Uh, where he plays in Asheville is one of the most doubles-friendly parks I think I've ever seen. Uh, I remember Ryan McMahon going back a couple of years. I think he led the minors, but he had 46 doubles when he was with Asheville in 2014. So flash forward to Mundell this year, 57, which, you know, doesn't matter where you're hitting. If you're hitting 57 doubles, you're doing something right. Uh, you're hitting the ball in the screws. You're putting it in the gaps, that kind of thing. Uh, but 40 of those doubles have come in 60 games at home this year. You're supposed to just say Coors. He's a Rockies prospect. <laughs> He's a, yeah. You just have to delegitimize it by saying Coors. Yes, That's yes, what happens. I know. I'm sorry. Um, but I instead, didn't mean to take that McCormick. away from Brian. I, you know, that, like I always say, you, you hit where you are. Um, and he has certainly done that for sure. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, those home road splits. But good on him for taking advantage and hitting more than anybody else has in, in my early history. Kind of similarly to um, what's been going on in the Eastern League this season, we've discussed this a little bit, but uh, the the Reading Fight and Phils have had a fantastic and very fun to watch race for the Eastern League home run crown um, this season between Reese Hoskins and Dylan Cousins. Both of those guys have 37 homers, but again, similarly, uh, Cousins has hit 28 of his 37 homers at home this year. 25 of the 37 for Reese Hoskins have come at home. So yeah, I mean, exactly. Like Sam said, you hit where you are. You can't be penalized for that. These dudes are mashing the ball. They just happen to play at ballparks that are conducive to uh, the things that they're doing. Still, I don't think you'd turn that in if you were any of those guys. No, no, not at all. The only the only thing you hope for is that you're not learning bad habits. I don't think you True. can learn bad habits with doubles. I mean, True. it's always good to only aim for doubles, and then if you hit the, the crap out of one, it ends up being a homer. That's a good habit. Right. The, when you... You're talking about guys like Cousins and Hoskins, and I'm not. I'm just using these two as examples. I have no, you know, knowledge that they are actively doing this, but I know this happens at High Desert, um, you know, or did happen at High Desert. When you know you can just hit the the ball out of the park by just getting it into the air, particularly young guys will just try to do that all yeah. the time. They, they just get it up and then let the wind take it. And look, I hit a home run, great. But once you get out of there, that's when you run into problems. Um, so that's more our concern. It isn't so much of taking away from what what they have done at these places. You just hope it doesn't adversely affect what they try to do in the future. Uh, but cousins and Hoskins guys with real power anyways. Uh, yeah. And certainly doing this in ways that we have rarely seen even at Reading before. Strike three this week, Sam, we are uh, nearing minor league postseason time. As we discussed, there are some interesting races around the world of minor league baseball. And I'm going to start us off here. Yes, please do. Cause I think you have much, uh, <laughs> much better way of putting this than I ever could. <laughs> The International League, the AAA League, mostly headquartered on the East Coast, a bit trending into the Midwest as well, boasts three divisions, the International League North, the International League South, and the International League West. The Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders running away with their division, 84-72. and 72. That's four games clear of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, seven and a half clear of the Rochester Red Wings, an elimination number of one for Rochester, four for Lehigh Valley. In the West... The Columbus Clippers, the Clip Show, they've already clinched their division at 79 and 58, 12 and a half games better than both Indianapolis and Louisville. All three teams behind Columbus have been eliminated. Three teams in the North have been eliminated as well. And then there is the politely 
described dumpster fire that is the International League South <laughs> right now. The Gwinnett Braves are currently leading the International League South at 62 and 74 on the season. 12 games under 500, but that's not even the best part. At 12 games under 500, Gwinnett is leading the division. And the last place team in that division is only three and a half games back at first place. Gwinnett is 62 and 74. Charlotte 62 and 75 is a half game back. Durham at 60 and 77 is two and a half back. And Norfolk, which is 59 and 78, the worst record in the International League is three and a half games back of the division league. The International League South is the most amazing. I'm going to say it right now. The most amazing playoff race I've ever seen in any sport at any level ever. This is incredible. <laughs> it's just, it, it's reminiscent of one of those like NFL divisions. <laughs> right. Uh, where everybody is South. going into the last week where there'd be seven and nine. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out tiebreakers and just, does anybody really want to advance here? Uh, really? The Jaguars are going to get a division title out of this. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> but uh, yeah, with this, it's, it's just amazing how this can kind of work out. Uh, the, the funny thing really is that how packed that division is, but at the same time, you would hope so, right? Like if Gwinnett is going to be 62 and 74 and leading the division, you would hope they're not leading it by 10 games. Cause then that just right. means True. horrendous <laughs> things for the other four teams. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's kind of sad how that kind of works out. I mean, again, you know, th- this is all kind of frivolous in the minors, you, you know, we cover wins and losses, any, player development person will tell you they'd much rather see their team win than lose. But at the end of the day, it's what talent are you churning out? Uh, And there's certainly some interesting prospects in that division, specifically Gwinnett. But yeah, that's uh, whenever we have to write that clinching story, whoever does take it, that's going to be an interesting manager interview. And like, so how'd you guys find your success? (laughs) Oh man. I hope Norfolk comes back and wins it all. 59 and 78 right now. 19 games under 500. Really, all you need to do is go on like a four-game winning streak and hope that <laughs> hope that everybody else continues playing the way they've played all year. Um, but this is exciting for these teams. You know, I mean, they're going to oh, yeah. play for something more than that. It's cool. I mean, it, you talk about the August doldrums, too. You know, the, some yeah. of these guys, you know, they're triple-A guys. Um, you know, they know – some of them know they're not getting the call in September. Right. So you want something to play for. There's nothing worse – you know, then playing out the string in August, just knowing there's no playoffs to go right. for. All you're doing is counting down the days for the offseason. So between Gwinnett, Charlotte, Durham, Norfolk, yeah, they could look at the records every day and just see like, well, this has not been a dream season. But, hey, you could certainly turn it into one, and that would be one of the coolest minor league stories of the year if one of these teams actually wins the whole dang thing in the IL. And it's possible. I mean, these are these are short uh, playoff series. They are not, you know, your long seven gamers that you're going to see in the majors. Uh, and anything is possible over a much shorter span like that. You'd so much rather be somebody playing on a team that's 59 and 78 and only three and a half back than playing on a team that's 59 and 78 and has been eliminated for three weeks. So it's yeah. pretty cool for these teams. Um, Gwinnett and Charlotte at 62 and 74 and 62 and 75 respectively boast the second and third worst records in the International League. And they're leading and one half game back of a division league in the International League South. Sam, what uh, what is uh, what's sticking out to you in the in the playoff races? Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of keep this shorter because that discussion is just way too much fun and deserves all the minutes it gets. But uh, I, I mentioned before El Paso. Uh, and, and the Padres with Hunter Ref, Renfro and, and Manuel Margot. Uh, El Paso currently leading the PCL Pacific Southern Division. Uh, there are four divisions in the PCL. There's the American Northern, American Southern, Pacific Northern, and Pacific Southern. Um, so they're leading the, the Pacific Southern Division right now by four and a half games. They have a magic number of four. You, you feel pretty safe about that, that they're going to clinch that division, uh, get a chance to fight on in the, the PCL playoffs. Um, and it, that just makes it intriguing because we, a couple of weeks ago, there may have been a month or two ago, uh, AJ Preller distinctly said, you know, the plan for Hunter Renfro and Manuel Margot is the traditional September route, meaning, you know, the Padres out of contention themselves, not really pushing for a playoff spot in the NL West. You know, they could bring up Hunter Renfro and Manuel Margot just to see what they have in an outfield that, you know, has lost Matt Kemp, uh, you know, they've even tried out Will Myers out there, even though he's they've used a lot of them at first base. Uh, Travis Jankowski, uh, 
Alex Dickerson, who was you know in El Paso earlier this year. It's a little bit of a jigsaw out there in outfield. They could certainly use Renfro and Margot just again to see what they have there. Um, but when you know the GM distinctly says we're going to wait until September, now does that mean September first, or because this team isn't a playoff race, uh, will they let them play it out? You know, get their uh, get their chances to get go for a PCL ring, even a AAA ring. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to keep kind of monitor that. And, you know, like I said, it, it was a while since Preller has said that. So has his calculus changed or not? I don't know. Uh, but El Paso, if they do clinch, I'll be keeping my eyes on them and how they kind of use Margot and Renfro. Obviously, the two big stars of that team, um, you know, in the postseason and potentially beyond. Minor league baseball playoffs starting all across the country. And, uh, yeah, it's it's one of our favorite times of the year. It's just crazy how all of these teams the storylines that pop up in the minor league playoffs sometimes are so different all across the season we're focused on prospects what's the track for development what's this what's that and then all of a sudden you get to the playoffs and it's just it's fun it's just baseball it's watching teams you know try to extend uh keep the the final extinguishing of the candle on the season away for one more night and it's a lot of fun and like sam alluded to i mean short playoff series make for some really interesting matchups sometimes there's a lot of player transactions a lot of guys moving to different levels the last few days of the season so this is a really fun time of year for us yeah no I'll just point to one, too. Um, Jason Groom, Red Sox first rounder this year, yeah. only had one outing, I think, in the GCL, already brought up to Lowell just to kind of help out that team who is currently leading the Stedler division in the NYPL. Uh, they have a magic number of three. So, you know, that it's uh, that those are the stories I love. Guys who are essentially ringers just brought up uh, to help the, the club in a playoff push and uh, see what they can do for them. So that wraps up three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast coming up next. Really excited to talk to the first overall selection in the 2016 major league baseball first year player draft, the second ranked prospect in the Philadelphia Phillies organization. Mickey Moniak joins the show to talk about his debut season and a whole lot more coming up. Headed to the Gulf Coast League in the home of the Philadelphia Phillies, which is where we find Mickey Moniak, the uh, top overall draft selection for the Phillies in 2016, their second-ranked prospect and one of the most exciting young talents. And I do mean young talents, by the way. Mickey uh, just turned 18 on May 13th, so for all of you who really want to feel old, Mickey, welcome to the show. How's uh, how's the debut season going? Uh, you know, I'm enjoying it. You know, just playing a little... Playing pro baseball for a living is, uh, you know, it's a dream come true, and I'm, I'm I'm running with it. I'm having fun. The crazy thing about it is, and it's it's similar for college guys, but for high school guys, the transition is so much bigger because you're going from you know, basically the home life that you've known your entire life. And, and not only that, but in your senior season, you know, starting to play competitive games, January, February, in a lot of cases, now it's August. I mean, now you've been doing this, you've gone through so much transition and so much change. Are you exhausted by this point in the year? I mean, the last few days of this season with, you know, maybe an instructs trip ahead or more off season work. I mean, how do you, how do you battle through kind of the last few days of what's been such a long grind just from the start of this calendar year alone? I mean, you know what, just, you know, playing baseball every day, you know, it's, it's a blessing, you know, it's something I've always wanted to do. And uh, I think that that definitely gets me through it. You know, it's tough, obviously, you know, playing, you know, every day, six days a week, you know, with one off day, but, you know, I'm enjoying it. You know, I've met a lot of good guys, you know, just, you know, all these guys out here are cool guys, guys I like to spend time with, guys I enjoy spending time with. So, you know, it's, uh, it's something that, you know, it's definitely a grind, but, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was definitely going into it knowing that it was going to be like this and knowing it's going to be a grind. And, you know, it's definitely tiring at times, but, you know, you're playing baseball for a living and, you know, there's nothing much more you could ask for. And what's been the biggest surprise so far? I mean, you're playing in the GCL, not a lot of fans, if any, make it out to those games. You're playing on spring training facilities, uh, spring training complexes. Um, you know, what what has been the biggest surprise since you made your debut a couple months ago? Um, going through this process and, you know, be, becoming a professional? I mean, you know, you know, the, I guess the biggest surprise would be, you know, just all the guys you're seeing from on a day-to-day basis, even in the GCL, you know, you got guys throwing, you know, mid-90s, you know, just great pitchers that, you know, you see every day. And, you know, there's there's not a letdown. There's never a guy where it's like, oh, this guy, 
you know, we're like a little bit, you know, not as good as the last guy. You know, every guy, is, you know, seems like they're throwing mid-90s and you, know, you just got to go out and compete and, you know, play your game and have fun. And, and Mickey, kind of take me through the draft process for you. Um, obviously, first overall pick, that's got to be the most exciting route through the draft. You don't have to wait very long on draft day. Um, but when was that kind of apparent that, you know, the Phillies were interested in you at 1-1 um, or that you had the talent to make it that far? I mean, you, you had a really great career there in California at La Costa Canyon. Um, but what was it like going through the showcase process, you know, going trying to have a normal high school life and then getting drafted first overall? You know, it was awesome. You know, going through the showcase, whole the whole showcase process. I met a lot of guys that you know I'm out in, I'm out in Florida with right now, and you know, just that whole showcase process really, you know, made me familiar with the guys I'm going to be playing with for who knows how long. But you know, that whole that whole process was fun. It definitely, you know, got my name out there. And then, um, you know, going into the high school season, I was just excited to play. You know, my last season with all my friends in high school, enjoy it. You know, high school baseball is you know, you can't really compare it to anything. It's just a, it's a fun time playing with all your buddies. And, you know, months, I guess you could say a couple months before the draft was really when it, when the one, one talks, you know, started and, you know, it was never for sure. It was never for sure thing until, you know, two minutes before the draft, my dad comes in, you know, it was a whole negotiation process. You don't know when you're going to go, you know, how, how it's going to happen. But my dad comes in two minutes before the draft, uh, you know, and I was sitting in the, the chair with all the cameras, from uh, MLB Network, and my dad comes in, gives me a little wink and a hug, and you know, I think I knew from that point on that 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 night was going to be special, and it was. And then, you know, I had a great time, and I'm just very excited to you know start a pro career. Yeah, I kind of wanted to ask you about that negotiation process. I'm I'm sure you were kind of you know a couple steps away. You know, at, at the time, being a 17 year old kid, where you just turned 18 at the time, uh, you know, maybe you were a little shielded from that, but you know. It used to be, you know, you see like the NFL, Joey Bosa just signs now. Um, it was a little different yeah, for you. you get... <laughs> yeah, are you a Chargers fan? <laughs> I guess that's Absolutely. It. <laughs> yeah, no, big Chargers fan. <laughs> yeah, so, for well, for you, you get drafted in June, you sign in June. Um, so what was that like, you know, talking to the Phillies pre-draft about, you know, what you'd be willing to take and how that kind of works out? Because it's a little different in baseball than some other sports. Right. You know, you know, going into the draft, you know, anytime a, a team that has the first overall pick is, is talking to you, that's something that's, you know, exciting in itself. You really want to, you know, put yourself in that situation to go there. I mean, money-wise, you know, obviously if you're going number one, the number's got to be right. It's got to be, you know, a fair offer. And I, I really feel like I got that. And, you know, just going number one in itself is just such a huge blessing and such an honor, you know, to be named with the guys who've gone number one, you know, in the past. And, uh, you know, that whole process after, I mean, right before the draft, we already pretty much had negotiations done with, and, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was over from then on. I kind of just, you know, spent a little time with my friends and family after the draft, you know, got settled in and then, uh, I was, I was off, you know, I was ready to go play baseball for a living and, you know, it's, it's been awesome so far. Mickey, being a part of this system now, um, you know, and it's only a few months for you, but the the Philly system has been so reshaped over the last few seasons and very much in large part due to some really savvy moves by the front office. But a lot of the top prospects around you are guys who started their careers outside of the organization. I mean, in MLB Pipeline's rankings, J.P. Crawford, number one, here at number two. The next three guys started their careers with the Texas Rangers and Nick Williams, Jorge Alfaro, and Jake Thompson. So this uh, this system has really been Thompson, I should clarify, was selected by the Tigers, but came over in a trade and spent some time moving through an organization with the Rangers as well. This system has been totally reshaped and is one of the best in baseball now. What is the attitude surrounding just how good this talent is? Because, you know, a few years ago, people in the Philly system probably didn't feel that way. And you didn't go to the ballpark every day thinking, no, we're coming again in this division. Now, I would imagine that, especially at the complex, the confidence surrounding all this talent has to be pretty sky high. What is the attitude like for those inside those walls as to what the, the next few years really hold for this organization? I mean, it's exciting, you know, just to be a part of it. You know, to to look forward to the future of having, you know, obviously all these great guys around you, you know, guys who are going to be, you know, future big leaguers who are going to, you know, solidify themselves, hopefully, uh, you know, make up a championship team. It's it's exciting to be a part of it. You know, if you look at if you look at all the minor league affiliates with the Phillies right now, I mean, everyone's winning. You know, no one's 
no one's really, you know, underperforming or anything like that. So that's, that's definitely exciting to look at. You know, I'm really excited for the future and, you know, having all these guys, you know, a lot of guys I haven't met yet, but, you know, I'm really looking forward to, you know, meeting these guys and hopefully, you know, being a part of their team in the future. It's definitely something exciting and exciting and, you know, something that I've been put into that's just been, you know, really fun. Being a California kid, let me ask you this, playing in the GCL can be, very taxing weather-wise and in california you're going to deal with some heat some humidity but how has been the acclimation to you know the heat the humidity the long days the the bus rides all that kind of stuff in the gcl where you're playing a ton of day games you're playing a lot in short succession how have you handled that and what what is the process to make sure that you know day after day you're eating right you're working out right the the fluids that you have to replenish because that's something that's extraordinarily difficult from the transition from amateur ball to pro ball as well Right. You know, coming into it, you know, I knew it was going to be a grind. And obviously the GCL, I've heard from, you know, Philly scouts, you know, other scouts who, you know, have teams in the GCL that it's 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 a tough week to play in. Obviously, you know, you don't get many fans, you know, 630 wake ups every morning, you know, long days at the ballpark. But, you know, you're playing baseball. You got to get a step back and, you know, realize that you're playing baseball for a living. And, you know, it's 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 been fun. You know, obviously the, the Phillies especially have, you know, a great staff around them, all the trainers I've, I've been with and, you know, all the, all the hitting coaches and all the guys that, you know, we're surrounded with have been uh, very helpful. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun when you're, you know, you're playing with uh, an organization that treats you well. And, you know, I'm just really excited, you know, to be a part of the, the Philadelphia Phillies. And, and Mickey kind of take me through, you know, what has been different about you since you've gone pro? I mean, what would, what's something about your game now, um, since you are now in a pro system, you've got, you know, so many hands, so many coaches, so many more coaches, uh, you know, uh, just the Phillies organization trying to mold you into a future major leaguer. What's something about you as a player that's different now than it would have been, you know, in, in the spring when you were uh, still playing high school ball? You know, just knowing that uh, every day is going to be, you know, a grind, obviously, you know, you show up to the ballpark at 630 you know, tissue prep, early work, all this stuff that, you know, in high school, high school, you don't really do high school baseball. You kind of just show up to the field and play, but, you know, it's definitely, you know, it's been, uh, it's been fun getting to know the ropes of, you know, minor league baseball and then professional baseball, you know, getting there early, getting your work in and then, uh, you know, putting in the time and, you know, hopefully it it shows on the field, but, you know, it's been something that, uh, you know, I've kind of ran with and I'm, I'm really enjoying and is there something in your skill set that's been different, or are they just letting you be you here so far? Is there like an approach that's different uh, at the plate, or anything that you're doing differently in the outfield? Um, what about that, that kind of aspects? I mean, they they definitely worked worked with me on things for the most part. They're just letting me be me. You know, they uh, you know, I, I know what I can do on the baseball field. And there's obviously always room to grow, but you know, for the most part, you know, they just let me do me. Obviously, get a little do a little outfield drills and just little minor things that, you know, could help me be, you know, a better outfielder. And then uh, obviously just hitting the cage, um, you know, something's a little off, you know, you, you talk about it, you, you go and you watch video, you have all those resources, but um, no, it's just been a, it, they basically let me do me so far and, you know, I, uh, I'm enjoying it. All right. And I have this last final question. You can see if Tyler or something else, but the, uh, today is Ted Williams' birthday, and I, I came across the story of your grandfather, Bill, uh, you know, played six seasons in the Red Sox farm system, got to know Ted Williams a little bit, got to l- use some of his lessons, passed them on to you. What is one particular piece of advice that you got from your grandfather um, that, you know, you think of every day or you think of when you're at the plate, um, something that he got from Ted Williams and has passed on to you? What specifically is something there? I mean, the main thing is, you know, when you go up to the plate, you own the pitcher. You know, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, the best pitcher in the league or, or just some, you know, everyday guy. You know, you, you own the you own whoever's on that mound. And you go in, oh, count, he makes a good pitch outside corner. You know, so what, let him have it. You know, oh, one, makes another good pitch, so what. You know, you're, you're really looking for your pitch. And then uh, you get down to oh, two, um, you know, that's when you got to, you know, get on the plate, put the ball in play. But, you know, the pitcher's never going to beat you. And, uh, you know, that's just a mindset that I've had. And that's something my, uh, my grandpa passed to me, which Ted Williams passed to him. So, you know, I've, I've just been grateful for, for everything my grandpa has taught me. And, you know, obviously my dad and all this stuff, being surrounded by baseball at an early age, it's been, uh, it's been really fun.
not a whole lot of people get to say the phrase as my grandpa has passed to me that Ted Williams passed to him. And that's pretty awesome. Um, I do have one final question for you, Mickey, when you get home as a Southern California guy over the off season, whenever it is, when you finally get home, what is the first meal that you go for now after several months away? What's the thing that you're just like dying to get to when you get back home when the season's over? Um, it has to be my dad's home cooking. You know, my dad, my dad loves to cook, um, you know, it's hot answer. roast, mashed potatoes. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to getting home. You know, he, he loves, he loves making his food. He loves doing all that. I mean, you know, I'm happy. I mean, I couldn't be happier, you know, getting that good food every day. It's, it's been been awesome okay someday when sam and i end up in southern california we're gonna ask for a trip to the moniac house holding some pot roast because that yeah. sounds amazing now to, to, to heck with in and out we're just going to the moniac. doors are always open <laughs> mickey moniac is on twitter the second ranked prospect in the philadelphia phillies organization you can find there at mickey moniac m-o-n-i-a-k is his last name in case you've been living under a rock and didn't know that by now uh mickey congratulations <laughs> on an awesome first season and uh thanks a ton for giving us a few minutes and we'll be following the rest of the way this year and on into 20 uh 17 and your debut in full season ball man absolutely thanks for having me Ever since earlier this week, I've wanted to get uh, this conversation underway to talk to our good friend Benjamin Hill about something that has irked me for days now about his most recent story up at MILB.com. And so we say hello to Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler. Hello, Sam. Hello. So... Spokane, Washington, a Vista Stadium, home of the Spokane Indians. We talked to, to Ben about his Northwest trip uh, last week and the week before. And the and, week before. And the week before that. <laughs> and uh, a Vista Stadium, one of the jewels, you kind of compared it to, um, you know, Redding's uh, first energy ballpark in which they uh, have really taken an old-style facility and made it feel new, made it feel um, like a classic minor league ballpark that doesn't feel like an old ballpark. And so, obviously, great facility. Great uh, fan involvement there, really well-run organization. But something that I did not know is this really fascinating story about a safe that was uncovered in the floor at a Vista Stadium, and I want you to take it away from here before I jump in with what's been with what's been eaten at me. <laughs> all right, yeah, because it all comes back to uh, what's been eaten at you and uh, the things that keep you awake at night. <laughs> um. Yeah, so this is something I actually did write about when the story first came up, but you know, a Vista Stadium, uh, a Vista Stadium, a Vista, Vista Stadium. I think it's a Vista. I was there, so I mean, <laughs> how would I know? Um, no, a Vista Stadium. Um, it didn't always have that name, but it was built in 1958. It's obviously one of the older stadiums in all of minor league baseball, and uh, as Tyler said, it's a beautiful park, and the the front office staff does a great job with it. But it's old. You know, it was built in 1958, and therefore there have been renovations through the years. And they were doing a $3 million renovation project in uh, January of 2013 in the lead-up to the 2014 season. And they were redoing the administrative offices and under a rug, which itself was under a uh, filing cabinet, uh, construction crews found a floor safe, a circular cylindrical vintage safe uh, in the floor. And, you know, they went up to the, uh, you know, guys working in the front office and said, do you guys know you have a, a safe here? It was made by the Gary Safe Company and, uh, you know, very old design, very uh, vintage aesthetic. And no one in the front office currently, you know, had any idea that it was there. And uh, that's exciting, right? You find a vintage yeah! safe buried in your stadium. And so the team was like, wow, that's amazing. That's cool. And uh, they solicited fan suggestions for – um, you know, to say what could be in the safe. And they planned a, or they at least batted around the idea of a uh, opening day 2013, you know, promotion where they'd open the, the safe before the game. And when you have a stadium that does go back to the 50s, that can boast arguably the greatest minor league team of all time in uh, 1970 with managed by Tommy Lasorda and featuring the likes of Steve Garvey, uh, all the players that have come through, all the history that's come through, it's easy to let your mind run wild and say, like, what crazy cool artifacts are in this safe? So people got excited about it. And then the team, upon further consideration, said, nah. You know, sometimes the knowing, the not knowing is better than the knowing, and we're just going to keep it a mystery. So they designed, they, they went through the entire renovations and literally just did the renovations around this little safe on the floor 
And I went in there and I talked to Otto Klein, the team's vice president. And uh, we had a conversation when we were standing right above the safe. Uh, you know, the team had to do a little bit to make sure no one would trip over it. It has a uh, little uh, metal panel on it in the middle of the floor. And it's uh, very unobtrusive. And if you were in that room, you probably wouldn't even know it was there. And uh, it is not opened. And so there is a safe dating back who knows how long, but probably a good 50 years in this stadium that people walk on and by every day that has never been opened. And they said, you know, we could open it. There's people who do this, you know, legally and and are able to open safes. We could get someone to do it, but we just choose not to. But we are, you know, we kept it as part of uh, the design in our office and it's just like a little quirk of the stadium and and that's that. So it's in a way it's a non-story that I'm talking about here. Well, were you able to read between the lines, like, is there a reason why they haven't done? I mean, it, it's itching at me that they're. I mean, it's it's almost like an itch. Like, I want it scratched. I want it just done with. Um, it, is it because they haven't come up with a good enough promotion behind it? Do, are they worried that something's in there? Like, could, did you see in anything in their mannerisms or kind of kind of outside <laughs> what they were telling you? Um, that would make you think why they aren't opening this stupid thing. Well, I'd like to clarify I'm a jovial minor league baseball reporter and not a hard-boiled detective trying to get <laughs> to the bottom of this. Uh, I was not checking uh, Mr. Otto Klein's mannerisms uh, for any tells when, uh, when, uh, when I was interviewing him. Uh, I really did get the sense that I think after, the, you know, not that they hyped it up a huge amount, but I think after everyone got excited and they put it out to the fans, I think the front office maybe got some cold feet and thought, well, most likely it's empty. And if it's not empty, it's probably just some old paperwork or ticket stubs or what have you. And probably, you know, back when it was first covered up, you know, it was empty when when it got covered and there's probably nothing to it. So in a way, it's more fun to dream about all the wild possibilities than to be confronted with the harsh, harsh truth that it's nothing. And I believe that's a life metaphor. But no, it's not, though. That's <laughs> bothering me. I was going to say, you know, it's more fun finding a million dollars in there. That's yeah, the exactly. Like, what if what, what if it's, you know, like we're we're missing out on solving the greatest uh, thrillers of all time. What if the, there's an explanation about the Georgia Guidestones in there or the Somerton man? Like we're missing out on so many possibilities here. I love that one of the theories though, is that it's Tommy Lasorda's black book. Yeah. Cause if, uh, <laughs> if there's one man who was, uh, had a uh, full roster yeah, of ladies. No it, it was definitely Tommy Lasorda. It, it could really, be Tommy really Lasorda's black book. It really eats me though. Like ever since I read this story, I've thought like, well, I mean, even if it is time of the sort of black book, like that's fascinating. It's a good piece of history, but it's really it's popped into my head at random occasions throughout the last few days because I want to know so badly what it is. What I do think is really interesting, though, we do not often talk about minor league baseball teams and their restraint. And that's true. <laughs> a crazy promotion. So it's kind of funny that Spokane saw this and was like, you know what? We're going to leave this. It's It's best left unknown. Because not a whole lot of teams, I feel like, would go that route. That is true. If you surveyed 160 teams, uh, 159 current ballparks, and said to all of them, uh, you know, we, we found a safe in your stadium. <laughs> and here are what? your options of what to do. I think Spokane is in a huge minority of saying, let's just leave it be. You know what? Um, but hey, here, here's to that cool Pacific Northwest Reserve. It's a mystery unto the ages, minor league baseball. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not cool with it, Spokane. I really want to know what's in that thing. Well, hey, we can start a grassroots movement. I've yeah. read the story. We're talking about it here on the podcast. Uh, hashtag. Um, hmm. Spokane safe. Spokane safe, I guess, yeah. I'm going to go to change.org and start a petition right now. See if we can get. See if we can there get. There you go. Go to change.org and. Uh, We'll go with it. See if we can get POTUS to uh, to respond. And speaking of POTUS, look at that. Wow, well done. <laughs> well, well done. I was wondering where you were going with that change.org. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so that takes us uh, to our next topic, which is the 2016 Bob election staged by teams owned by the Gold Clang Group. Here it is. Fans are given a choice between a bobblehead of the Democratic nominee for president Hillary Clinton and the Republican nominee for president, Donald Trump's hair, uh, 500 of each of those were made available. And the first to have all of them selected was declared the winner. Four teams took part in this, the Hudson Valley Renegades, the Charleston River Dogs, the Fort Myers Miracle, and an independent team all owned by that group. And Donald Trump 
defeated Hillary Clinton in all of those, um, which is something, and uh, but is not binding. It's like the Brexit vote. Um, and also was incorrect when this was held in 2012, in which Mitt Romney defeated Barack Obama in that Bob election. But the, uh, as I understand it, at least, the Electoral College does not recognize these votes in the real election. But anyway, just kind of take us through this, uh, this electoral process here, Ben. Yeah, the Goklan group has been doing the Bob election since 2004, and uh, other teams have since, since taken the idea, even if they don't use the Bob election term. Uh, you know, Mahoning Valley did it last week. I believe Lakewood and Hickory have some coming up. Potomac has one coming up. Um, but the Goklan group did it first, and as you said, they have affiliated teams in uh, currently in Hudson Valley, Charleston, and uh, Fort Myers, and the independent St. Paul Saints. And uh, this is the fourth year they've done a Bob election, the fourth election year. Uh, in 2004 and 2008, the fan uh, bobblehead bob election results were uh, did predict the eventual presidential winner. And as you said, in 2012, Mitt Romney won the bob election, but uh, he did not win the presidential election. But here we have a case where Hillary Clinton is leading in all of the polls. And yet in all of the bob elections, Donald Trump won and easily by a lot. He had over 60 percent. Uh, with all three of the affiliated teams, 55% in St. Paul, and uh, that's it was landslides, and and even more so in that some of the teams, such as Fort Myers and Charleston, did have various third-party options, not in bobblehead form, but things that uh, fans could choose in, in in lieu of a bobblehead. So I think Fort Myers was the most extreme, and in Fort Myers, uh, it was 59.9% Trump to 28.9% Clinton. And you know this is a swing state that is currently uh, going Clinton's way, and Trump got double the votes, and uh, it was like that everywhere. So as one who's concerned for the future of America and for democracy, I tried to find reasons uh, why this maybe was not going to be indicative of the 2016 presidential election results. I talked to Nate Courant, uh, the promotions director in Charleston, and I was kind of kind of hoping he'd say, yeah, everyone just loved the idea of a Trump bobblehead. It wasn't because they loved Trump. But uh, he said, I don't know. It was hard to tell. And, you know, the people have spoken, and this is the way it went. Um, so Trump has swept the Bob election, and uh, this might be a sign that Trump is uh, stronger than we believe uh, in comparison to the current polls. And um, just the way it went down. My theory is it's that he has a hat and a tie on the bobblehead. I think it just looks more appealing when there are accessories with the bobblehead. I think if I saw two bobbleheads, one was just in a business suit, one had a goofy hat on, I think I would go with a goofy hat. Yeah, Trump is a more striking bobblehead because he has the red base for the you know being a Republican in the red state, and uh, that contrasts well with his dark suit. And then, but it's accented by his red tie and his red hat. It right. is a more aesthetically appealing bobblehead. Hillary Clinton has the blue base and then an all blue power suit, so it's just this kind of blob of blue where. Uh, Trump as a bobblehead really does look better, and I, I was hoping it was a more aesthetic choice. And the fact that Trump, whatever your opinion of him, is a more interesting character as regards the quotability and uh, uh, just the fascination with what he'll say or do next. And I, I like to think that some people are just like, hey, I want a Trump bobblehead because just as something on my shelf, this is something that I will – it's more visually striking. It's something that will kind of give me more joy to look at and laugh at and remember the year that he was the Republican nominee. Oh, boy. Remember 2016? What were we all doing there? Yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what? I, I'm getting a little partisan here, and I really have tried throughout my career, as all of minor league baseball does, and, and you know, keeping it uh, bipartisan and, and uh, not injecting my own opinions into it. And just uh, letting the process play out. And, you know, teams, the Bob election is one of the few politically themed promotions that you'll see teams do because usually you don't want to alienate a portion of the ballpark. But with the Bob election, you're saying, hey, you know, we'll give you a choice. And that, as I said, did include some third party options. The Miracle had a third party party that fans could opt for with like a discounted ticket for an all you can eat thing uh, taking place at the ballpark. And you could get a Jill Stein Stein, like a beer Stein. And, um, Charleston offered in lieu of the bobbleheads, you can enter a drawing to win a one-way trip out of the country on election day. <laughs> I mean, I would like to think that it has something to do with, you know, the base of minor league baseball and who's going to these games in the first place. Outside of just the fact that like a Trump bobblehead 
is realistic and that his head goes up and down and side to side and all over the place and makes all sorts of goofy movements like the man himself. Uh, but yeah, is, in your talking or in your estimation, does that have something to do with it? I mean, we're talking about a lot of, a lot of these teams play in suburban areas, you know, noticeably whiter audiences, that kind of thing. Would that demographic maybe play a, a role in this perhaps? I think it's possible that minor league baseball as a whole might be a little more conservative and right-leaning than America as a whole, but it's really tough to tell. I mean, you're talking outside of the Bob election markets, but you are talking about 160 teams, uh, markets across the country. So you are going to see a lot of diversity in that. But I do think that the minor league fans might skew a little more conservative than uh, America at large. Election Day 2016 is coming up on Tuesday, November 8th. And no matter what, Go out and vote because that is your duty as an American citizen. But what you can also vote for, Mascot Mania is down to its final four. And uh, this really is quite a power group. And I'm going to run you through them. We had the, the voting, the preliminaries all done. We've wrapped up in all four of our regions. And from those four regions, the South, the West, the Midwest, and the East, these are your final four. DJ, the mascot of the Dunedin Blue Jays, Rhubarb the Reindeer of the Tacoma Rainiers, uh, Ferris, who is the Aberdeen Ironbirds mascot, Ferris not spelled like Ferris Bueller, F-E-R-R-O-U-S, which apparently means of or containing iron. And what a surprise if it's a thing with a vote. There has to be a Royals candidate there. So Stormy of the Omaha Storm Chasers, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I very much admire the Royals voting block. Stormy won the Midwest region. So we're down to the final four. We obviously can't take picks, um, but this was uh, we got a lot of votes. This has been a lot of fun doing Mascot Mania. Yeah, and I've given up. You know, Danny Wild, our good friend Danny Wild, uh, milb.com contributor and jack of all trades. You know, he solicited some quotes from me for uh, his article introducing Mascot Mania, as well as the one uh, updating um, fans as we enter the finals. And I try to give some quotes and predictions. And I was way off, or not way off, but pretty off in uh, selecting who might be the finalists. And and now I just ha- I hesitate to say who's going to win this thing. Um, DJ in Dunedin is to me a baffling finalist with all due respect to DJ, but coming from Dunedin, uh, you know, the lowest drawing team in the Florida state league, which as a whole kind of struggles to draw and being a fine mascot, but just a parent club referencing mascot, nothing out of the ordinary in the mascot world. How DJ came to win the South is, a um, is a surprise for sure. He's certainly the, uh, the dark horse thus far, so you can't count him out. He got this far. Stormy, I'd say, is not too surprising. As you said, a Royals affiliate, uh, you know, a, a team that's been in the market for a long time and can really rally the fans to vote. And there's a lot of fans voting for this who don't have, you know, the proverbial horse in the race. You know, it's a randomized matchups when you went to vote, um, not in the finals, but uh, previously. So a lot of fans would just go and vote until they got bored. And um, it was just based on aesthetic decisions and uh, what, whatever they thought whose picture looked better or wh- however you, you know, you decide these things. So who knows how it goes, but yeah, we got a reindeer and we got a blue Jay and we got a storm, a, <laughs> a, a meteorological referencing a thing. green thing. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what F- Ferris is. I guess is a bird. He's an iron, iron bird. Yeah. He is a bird made of iron. So um, here we are, and I, I I wish I had more to say, but it's uh, it's baffling. But it's, As of it's right fun. now it's fun. DJ's leading in the final four, uh, just ahead of Stormy. Rhubarb the reindeer checks in third, and Ferris is fourth. This would be one heck of an upset. This is like Dewey defeats Truman. If uh, DJ takes this win, I'll be very impressed for all the all the reasons you noted. Yeah, I will too. So um, so go vote. Everybody. So go vote. Go, go vote. vote. It's not over until the fans are uh, done voting. I also love that Aberdeen tweeted a picture of Cal Ripken standing next to DJ and said, Cal has his back. How about you? Vote for Ferris. Or standing next to Ferris. Sorry. Sorry, Ferris. I didn't mean anything <laughs> I by say, it. But... <laughs> I was just, I had DJ on the brain. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ferris. Anyway, you can go to MILB.com right now and cast your ballot for uh, Mascot Mania. Also, there's more in addition to the Bob election story. There's more in this week's promo watch, uh, including Kyote, the uh, Kyote, but 
it's funnier if you pronounce it as if Quixote is a a very exotic coyote who's the Frederick Keys mascot. He apparently as well is running for president. Quixote launched his campaign earlier this week. Uh, the Potomac Nationals, as Ben noted, will also be doing a a bobblehead giveaway of the two presidential candidates with real hair. With real hair, yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting right. thing. They had they had Trump and Clinton send them uh, <laughs> no, their no, own hair and hair. then painstakingly taped. Uh, these real hair samples on the bobblehead. Also, Potomac is uh, doing a night in honor of Hamilton, the blockbuster musical, coming up on Sunday, September 4th. The Great Lakes Loons, one of my favorite giveaways of the year. Great Lakes obviously came up with a little bit of a redesign for their logos this offseason. One of them is a winter loon, which is a, a loon wearing kind of a Holden Caulfield-esque hunting cap with the fur lining. They're giving those away on Sunday to the first 1,000 fans at the Great Lakes game, so that's a great one, so go check out uh, promo watch go check out the story on the safe and let it annoy you as much as it has dug at me all week and uh ben we'll do this again next week and uh i don't know who knows maybe by then somebody will have cracked that safe i don't know yeah you never know now that there's so much new uh increased scrutiny on it yeah <laughs> hashtag spokane safe spokane safe um spokane secrets also an acceptable one all right well we got to find one and, and rally the troops behind it <laughs> all right ben we'll talk to you next week we will i mean you will Either way. Yeah. Minor League Playoffs on the Horizon 74th edition of the Show Before the Show podcast coming to a close. Before we get out of here, uh, head on over to iTunes and Stitcher where you can find us and rate us. Ratings, reviews, subscriptions, always appreciated. We're the Minor League Baseball podcast there. And uh, wrap it up the show before the show. But before we do, MILB.TV, your home for the Minor League postseason, is also your home for the thrilling conclusion to Minor League Baseball postseason races. Uh, Sam, who you got? Yeah, so I'm going to be paying attention to this weekend, or one series I'm going to kind of be paying attention. It's a slight I'll, – I'll let you get to the IL South because I know that's going to be your picks for the MILB.TV. Yes. So I'm not going to take your – wind out of your sails there it's kind of like a diet version of that in the texas league north uh right now arkansas yeah and that the teams are closer to being good uh arkansas currently leads that division the second half standings uh but they are 31 and 31 so they're evenly 500 uh northwest arkansas tulsa springfield are the other team three teams in that division all separated by only two games so it'll be a fun second half race there uh, in the Texas League North Division. If there's a team that I want you to watch in that division, it's Tulsa. Um, just because Cody Bellinger, who is one of the top prospects, if not the top prospect in the Dodger system, depending on who you talk to, is just going off lately. I think he has four homers in his last five games for the Drillers. In August itself, he's got nine homers in 26 games uh, with a 1.013 OPS. So this is a guy heating up at the right time uh, for the Drillers if they're going to make a push for the Texas League playoffs. Springfield won the first half. Uh, this is for the second half. Right now, the Drillers sit a game and a half back of Arkansas uh, for that second half title. Should be a fun weekend. They're also going up against, or they're going up against Northwest Arkansas until Friday, I believe. Uh, then, starting on Saturday, they'll be taking on those Springfield Cardinals. Uh, either way, you know whether you want to watch that game on Friday or Saturday, Sunday, uh, it'll be a playoff atmosphere there in Tulsa. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And now with that, what should we be watching in the IL South, Tyler? Fear not, everyone. Fear not. The weighted schedule has provided drama galore for the the the, the arresting conclusion. <laughs> Thrilling is not even enough. The arresting. You are not allowed to leave your chair. To the International League South's epic 2016 race of the postseason and really in all reality this is pretty exciting i mean if you ignore the records for a minute um leading into the weekend norfolk will be on the road at charlotte and again as we are recording this on tuesday norfolk 58 and 59 and 78 three and a half games back in the division charlotte 62 and 75 a half game back in the division and durham will visit gwinnett durham is 60 and 77 and gwinnett leading the division is 62 and 74 but then starting on sunday those series switch norfolk travels to durham and gwinnett is on the road at charlotte so all four of these teams will be beating up on each other over the weekend and in the end Somebody's going to come out with a division crown, so be tuned in all weekend and early next week, uh, all of it, uh, at MILB.TV for the, like I said, the arresting conclusion of the International League South 
And I don't mean it because it's like something that you're sentenced to watch in these teams that are <laughs> 12 and 19 games back in some cases of 500. There will be questions. There will be quizzes. <laughs> who of the I Hell South will take the Iron Throne? It's going to be something. It's going to be something. Watch it. It's minor league baseball's most thrilling race to the finish line. And uh, when that's all done, minor league playoffs start next week, and we will talk to you then. Uh, We'll be doing it from across an ocean, which will be bizarre, but that'll be uh, a whole pile of fun, and we're excited for it. We'll we'll break down some playoff races. We'll break down some September call-ups and uh, get you set for the offseason, which is so weird. But, yeah, we're at that time of year. Can't believe it. Yeah. yeah. Actually, before we go, have you told the people where you, where you are going to be? This I don't know. Weekend? Did I mention that last week? I don't think I did. I don't think you did. did. So just take this time now before we go to, to tell the people where you'll be and where you'll be doing the podcast from next week. Well, it's currently uh, 4.05 Mountain Time on Tuesday the 30th. So in 16 hours and 20 minutes, I'm going to be getting on a plane, Denver to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Tokyo, and then Tokyo to Busan, South Korea, where this weekend I'll be doing play-by-play for the Women's Baseball World Cup from the World Baseball Softball Confederation. Um, I will have games in Pool C, which includes the United States, the second-ranked team in the world. A whole lot of people listening probably did not even realize United states women's baseball team most common question i get is oh softball no the women's baseball (laughs) team second ranked team in the world they're behind japan uh in my pool i'll have the united states number two australia who is number three and then hong kong and chinese taipei so all of those i'm doing two games uh each day the third fourth and fifth those will be available on YouTube, so anybody uh, who is really interested in watching games at weird hours of the night, uh, I'll tweet out those links, and, uh, and you can watch some baseball from the other side of the globe, and it'll be fun. But yeah, we did a podcast from Taiwan last year uh, when I was over doing games for the, the Premier 12 tournament, and this year we'll do them from, from Korea. We're, we're crossing all kinds of time zones off of the uh, show before the show bucket list, I guess. Yeah, and... As always, I'll probably the first thing I'll say is, can you believe this sounds instantaneous? This is not the technology of the Internet. So. It, we're in the future. future yeah, future. it's going to be crazy. I'm going to I'll give you the um, the lottery numbers. I think I made that joke from Taiwan. <laughs> last year. I'm in the future. And here's how you become a millionaire. Not how it works. Not actual time travel. Sadly, uh, we're still here. Wah, wah. Um, but yeah, so next week we'll do it from uh, from across an ocean. We'll get you all set for the minor league postseason and more. And uh, thanks for tuning in for another week on the show before the show podcast, episode number seventy five, the Diamond Edition. Right? Isn't that it? I have no idea. You could so. be making that up. Just the California League this year was seventy five years, and I think their logo had a diamond in the background. So we'll That's call it the true. Diamond Edition next week. Let's go for it. Yep. Very apt for baseball. We'll talk to you then. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.